Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Good evening, church. Uh, it really is a joy to be back um, again with you, uh, coming before you, uh, bringing God's word. Um, it really is very, very different to be here from uh, where I was just a month ago. Um, but it's a joy nonetheless to come, to, to preach, to, to, to come and see you uh, all. I think it's been a joy to my heart even over these last couple of weeks um, as brothers and sisters under Christ. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this evening, and so if you turn your Bibles there from verse 6, uh, so long as uh, we go through. We've been traveling through a broad series through 1 Corinthians over the last couple of months, but specifically over the last couple of weeks, we've been traveling through a relationship Q&A with the Apostle Paul. We've journeyed through the Corinthian church's questions on marriage, sex, singleness, Divorce with the believing spouse. And tonight we come to those who I'm going to term the what-ifers. Anyone who has ever taught anything when it comes to the Bible knows who the what-ifers are. You've done your sermon, you've done your talk, you've waxed it, you've polished it, you've put everything together, and you see the raised hand. What about this? What if this happens? What about this circumstance, looking for every nuance, looking for every piece of the topic that is at hand? What if fill in the blank? To be clear, there are two different types of what-ifs that we'll encounter. The first group, as I've already described, those who seek to find every nuance in every situation. The second group that looks at their lives They look where they are now and they ask the question, God, what if something had happened differently? What if I had been born into a different family or I was more good looking or had chosen a different job or married a different spouse? What if I'd never gotten married at all? What if I never find a wife? What if I'd chosen to study a different degree? To be clear, I don't want to discredit any of these approaches. I think that in the right mind and in the right heart, God uses each of these and and works in our hearts in each of these. But this is the truth that we're going to come tonight. What if? And so reading from verse 6, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Coming to our section for this evening from verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever 
and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving wife is made holy because of his unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of his circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. But keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called as a bondservant of the Lord. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Before we get into tonight's message, I want to give you two things. Number one is a disclaimer. Number two is a spoiler. Starting with the disclaimer. All of your questions concerning marriage, divorce, religious background, and slavery will unfortunately not be answered tonight. I can promise you that. Can I ask our elders just to put our hand, their hands up again? Okay, we've got two of them. There'll be more around when we find in coming weeks, okay? These men... God is gifted and uniquely called to answer all of the difficult and complex and challenging questions that you will have. God has given us these men that they might be our counsel and come to them. Proverbs tells us where there is no counsel, a people fails. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And so, I know saying this confidently of our church's elders, these are counselors in whom you might find safety make use of them. That's the disclaimer. The spoiler. We are going to discuss three separate examples or situations which each have one guiding principle. And so as we look to follow through these three examples, I plead with you, do not get lost on the what if trail. But stay with me, stay with us, stay with Paul as we seek to follow him in this principle as we trail him through Scripture. We come tonight before God's Word. Let's pray. Father, you know tonight, Lord, that, that we come before a challenging text, God. God, we come before a text that really is, is a challenge to each of us as we hear it. I want to pray, Lord, that tonight you would speak, God. 
that God, it would be you who is speaking to our hearts and to our souls, that Father, you would really encounter us, that it'd be more God than just simple words on a page, that your spirit would enlighten our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to hear from you tonight, God. God, would we not be passive recipients, but would we be open to hear what you have to say to us, Lord? Lord, speak to us tonight. In your precious name, amen. We come looking at our first situation, our first example. What if I am married to an unbeliever? What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Picture this, you've just come to believe in Jesus Christ And teaching is going around in the church saying that it is good, it is holy, it is right to rather steer clear of sex and marriage. It's holy in the sight of God. And so Paul has just written to your friends in the church and he says to the married people that are both believers, do not get divorced. And so you see two Christians both pursuing after God, holy, holy. It makes sense, right? It makes sense that Paul writes to them, do not get divorced, Question comes to your mind as you you read this and hear this, you might think, but I'm married to an unbeliever. What then? Surely the unbeliever brings in corruption and impurity as, as I look to follow Christ. Well, what instruction does Paul give us as as we encounter this scenario that he brings through? Paul gives two instructions. The first of which is if your spouse agrees to stay married. Paul flips the thinking on the head of of impurity and and flips it and changes what we think to be wrong and to be right. You see, instead of saying that the spouse is made impure, they're corrupted, he says the spouse rather makes the other spouse, the husband or the wife, and the children holy. Well, what does this mean? It certainly cannot mean uh, that they are saved. We can find this in the text. Let's read it again. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. How are the spouses described? As unbelieving. We read in Romans 10 verse 9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so by nature, by, of their lack of profession, their lack of belief, they simply cannot be saved. What then is Paul saying? Paul says that the believing spouse instead exerts a holy moral influence over their home. So my parents, every single Saturday, used to clean their house. They still do it. Don't say used to. Okay? So every Wednesday, what do I do? I clean my house. I hated doing it every Saturday, but because of their influence on me, I have been changed. General principle, as we come to this, Paul says to the believing spouse, if they are willing to remain with you, there remain. A lot of questions come up at this point, and we'll deal with them as we come down the line, but I don't want to miss the point, and so we're going to move on to the next example that Paul goes to. He says, now what happens if your spouse wants to divorce? Your spouse says, you're you're a different person. You're no longer enjoying the things I enjoy, no longer doing the things that you used to do. And you now say that you love a man named Jesus. I want out. I simply can't do this. I simply can't live life with you. 
You might say, if you take the first situation and apply it across, if I have a purifying effect on my home, if I make my spouse holy, surely I should fight for this. Surely I should hold on to this. Surely I desire to keep this. Paul changes the thinking. Instead, he says, God has called you to peace. Let them leave. To be clear, God is not saying that in any instance where there is not peace, that the divorce is acceptable. This would go against what we saw last week. Nor is God saying that this is an exception to the command that he has given last week of do not divorce. The only exception that we find in the entirety of the scripture is given to us both in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19 in the case of sexual immorality. Instead, what's happening here is an uncontested divorce. You letting them divorce you. But again, I could dive into this, but it's not the point of tonight's sermon. What then is the point? Do you notice in both cases the choice is up to the unbelieving spouse? Let's read again. Let's turn uh, again as we look from verse 20 in this text. Let's move up actually. Verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. What's the role of the unbelieving spouse? We're going to see this throughout the entirety of tonight's sermon. It is to remain in the situation which God has called you towards. God has called you to that situation. You ought to remain in it. This is the point of the entire message. This is what we are getting at. This is what Paul is trying to point us towards. Here's where I want us to take a breath. What's Paul doing here? And we're going to find this in the entirety of the examples he gives. He's asking us to take a step back. He's received these questions from this church and, and received all these different things about singleness, marriage, divorce, and he's going to go on even further to ask about spiritual gifts and all these different things. And what does Paul do? He actually takes us backwards. I want to take us backwards. 1 Corinthians, starting in the first chapter, he speaks about, for the word of Christ is foolish to those who are perishing. He speaks about salvation. He speaks about how the person who was believing was called by Christ, called to a salvation that was not his own. He was called by God at his place in a specific time by the work of God. Read in chapter 1, verse 31, why? So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We might come from this point and think, okay, Paul has told us to take a step back. He's told us to take a look, okay, yes, thinking back towards salvation. We might even think if we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, thinking of verse 12 on Verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That might have been the picture that you got. When you thought of chapter one and Paul's reminding them of this great salvation, you might think God has called us to triumphal procession. We're gonna go through, we're gonna come out, we're gonna conquer this world. And you know what happens? We hit life. Life happens. We come to the situation. That of a believing spouse married to an unbelieving spouse. Why do I point us to this disparity? Why, why do I point us to, to this attitude of heart? Because that's where we're called tonight, is called to remain there 
with God. Could God have saved the spouse at the same time? Yes. Could God have caused you as a person who is now married to an unbelieving spouse to rather have not gotten married to them? Yes. He definitely could have done so. God could have done a lot of things. He could have done a multitude of different things. But the thing that God did was he caused the believing spouse to be saved when they were saved, for the purpose they were saved, and he caused them to be married to the unbelieving spouse. And the command given, remain there. We come to these situations in our lives, and and we ask this question, God, are you really calling me to this? Is this really what you're calling to me towards? And we're talking even beyond the concept of marriage, and we'll see how that fits in as we go down. I want to point you to a couple of people in the Bible. Jeremiah was called to preach to people who would not hear. Job was caused, called to lose his family, his livestock, everything he owned. Hosea was called to marry a prostitute, and so on and so forth. You see, sometimes we think we're called to something so different to what God has called us to in this moment, in this space, in this time. We read of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. He says, let them not be out of this world. They are in this world, but let them be a light where they are. I want you to think even further. Let's come back to that Second Corinthians passage. It continues. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So the question comes to us tonight. As God calls us to remain, as he calls us to stay where we are, as he calls us believers, people who've been changed from death to life, do we trust God? Do we trust God? Do we trust that God is God as he has called himself to be? That when the scriptures tells us that all things work for the good of those who believe in him, do we trust God? We see even in this that, that God has a purpose. If we're talking about the believing and unbelieving spouse. Greater even than moral holiness, greater even than peace. Reading from verse 16. For how do you know wife whether you will save your husband or how do you know husband whether you will save your wife? Peter puts it this way, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So even if some of you do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. And so we move from this first example of what ifers to the second example of what ifers. Second example asks, what if I was different? What if I was different? Half of the audience that Paul is speaking to is a Jewish audience. They've come to be a Christian and and they're asking, what if I'd never followed all of these traditions? What if I hadn't done all of these things? What if I hadn't got involved in this space? My circumcision is a mark of my previous life. What if I'd been called as a Gentile? Maybe I'd be holier. Maybe I'd have some blessings if I could just remove the trace of this old life. Interesting enough, doing some research, there was actually a surgery they could do which would hide their circumcision. Second half of the audience is thinking, I'm not a Jew. What if I'd followed the Jewish practices? Maybe then I could be a holier. Maybe then I could obtain some blessing. 
What is Paul's response? I'm, I'm very into computers and tech. And so there's a guy, a YouTuber called Linus Tech Tips. Okay, and what they did is they took this very, very old computer. It's absolutely one of those big computers with the rollerball mouse and everything else. And what did they do? They chucked all the new hard drives. They chucked in everything that it needs to be an amazing, fast, powerful computer. What happened? When you start up the computer, it zaps, it goes, it moves. It's not the same computer, right? Its externals are exactly the same. Nothing has changed. What has changed? The internals. And so what does Paul point to as we come to this text? He says, the externals do not matter. You who've been called as a Jew have been called as a Jew. You who've been called as a Gentile, you've been called as a Gentile. Do not focus on that which is outside. Focus on that which is inside. That's what's going to matter. That's what's going to matter. And what's the call to them? Let's read from verse 17 to verse 20. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. Was anyone at the time of his calling already circumcised? Remain so. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Remain so. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Church family, what's been asked of you? God says, I've called you as you are. I've called you as you are. Called, we can understand in two senses. The one sense is a call. If a pastor is called to a church, he is no longer the pastor of the other church. He's now the pastor of this church. Okay, his status has changed. That pastor, though, when he moves to this church, is called to shepherd, to lead, to guard, to protect, to guide the flock. Okay? One is a changed estate, a call. The other is to a calling, to a position. And so he speaks to those who've been called, those who've been changed, to a calling. The calling of remaining with Christ. So what does he do? He says to me, Carsten, I called you to be the child of believing parents, to be saved in your first year at Tux in Pretoria, being a part of a Central Baptist church in a Christian community. Could he have placed me in a different home? Yes. Could he have given me different gifts? Certainly. Could he have placed me at a different university? Definitely. Saved me at a different time, made me a different race, given me different desires? All yes. But he did not call me to those other things. He called me to be here in this moment now. That's what he's called me towards. Do you not see, church? God has not called you to be someone else. I think too often we're trying to live out someone else's story. God calls you tonight. Yes, you dark-haired, brown-eyed girls from a single-parent household. You middle-class, dark-skinned man from the Eastern Cape. You from Shoshengouv, where Zwavelport, old, young, rich, poor. You, yes, you can serve God uniquely where He has placed you. But I come to that question again. Do you trust God? Are you willing to come when these hard questions come, when these internal wrestlings begin, when life is not the way you think it should be, are you willing to start here and not here? You see, too often we come and we think, I need to put this in the right place. 
I need to do the right things. God has called me to change my circumstance. God's called me out of this. The ironic thing about that entire statement, God has called. It's God who chose. It's God who put your circumstances in place. It's God who has placed every single bit and piece. God is supremely sovereign over every decision, every choice, every circumstance that has brought you to be the person you are today and the situations you are today. That is who God has called you to be. That is who God is. And so he says, remain. Don't find a workaround. Don't find a way out. Don't try and change things. Yes, some things might need to change, but trust God. Let God change your circumstances. Let God work in those spaces. A commentator writes, All positions in life can either be blessed or cursed. The determining factor of which comes down only to the question, are you a follower of Christ? That's what matters. That's what has value. Have you been called by him? Have you been purchased with a price? Question then remains, what if... I'm called into something that is not in line with God's word. You might ask that question, if, if God is saying I should remain, should I remain exactly where I am? Let me say outright no. You might think I've contradicted the entire sermon. Let me give a silly example, okay? If you're called and you're working as a prostitute or a bank robber, I don't think God's telling you to remain in that calling, Okay? I think God has called us in his word to search what he desires for our lives, to ask, is this which I'm in right now in line with what God has called me? Yes, you might need to make a career change. You might need to do things differently. But again, which, which mind are you coming? One that says, I want to be influenced. I want to be changed. I want to be molded and shaped by God's word, by God influencing me, by God directing me. This other says, I'm going to choose my way. I'm going to set my path. I think of Peter at the end of the book of John. Jesus tells Peter that he's going to die for his faith. And Peter, being typical Peter, says to Jesus, what about John? Will he die? Well, reading from John 21, 21. Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. We come now to our last group of what ifers for the evening. What if I am restricted? What if I'm restricted? I mean, what, what if I don't have the same freedoms or opportunities to serve God that others have? This is the question coming to the slave at that time. I don't have the same opportunities. I don't have the same space. I'm the slave to, to a master. I have to follow what they tell me to do. Maybe I should run away. Maybe I should escape this situation and I can serve God more fully and be more blessed that way when I'm free of limitations. I want to read this point. Paul says again that they should remain. We're going to see this reading from verse 21. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. 
For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, again, we hear this command. In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let me be clear what God says no to. He does not say no that these men or women should say slaves forever. Let me be even clearer. God does not approve of slavery in any shape, way, or form. God even says in this passage, if you have the opportunity to be free, take it. God says no to trying to force a situation, thinking that in some way it is going to benefit your godliness or salvation in some way. What did we read when he came back to that start of 1 Corinthians? You were chosen. You were saved. Right? That's what he's telling these people. Yes, you might be a slave under an earthly master, but you who are slaves to an earthly master have been transferred from that ownership to the ownership of a much greater master. You've been called to a much higher calling, even to that of the master that is above you. And so, in your circumstance, in your situation, there remain. It's interesting, the text even says there, verse 24, there let him remain, let me be clear, with God. With God. I think of Exodus chapter 33. There's this picture as we come and we, we see uh, this idea of that they've built this golden calf and they've put it up and they've worshipped it and God in his anger sends Moses down and God says, I'm going to strike you all down, I'm going to kill you all. Moses, after speaking with God a bit, manages to get God to say this. And God says, you know what? I'm going to send you to the promised land. I'm going to come true with my promises. After Moses reminds God of the promises given. He says, you know what? I'm going to send you guys there, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go with you. What does Moses say? Moses says, even if you kill us along the way, even if we die, God, even if we don't make it, we do not want to be where you are not. God, we want to be where you are. As we think of this, I want to tell you a story. There's many martyrs who've gone and been burnt at the stake for their faith. And it's interesting, though, they are slaves to men in a circumstance in that situation. Men have bound them. Men have taken them. They've put wood logs around them. They've set those logs on fire. Do you know how many of those men and women burnt at the stake singing praises to God? How is it? How how is it that someone can come in that state, bound under men, bound to their accord, and they can sing to God? Because they realize, I am not a slave to man. I am a slave to Christ. They can sing because they say, I have a much greater master than even this. A much greater call, a much higher thing that God has called me towards. We're told in the book of Deuteronomy of the year of Jubilee. So what would happen every seven years if you're a slave? They would release you. They would say, slave, you can go and be free. There was an option though. If the slave so chose, they could choose to stay with their master. 
Why? Because they so loved their master. And so what would happen is they get a mark on their ear and there would be a celebration festival because the slave has chosen to stay with their master. And so much, there might be earthly things we feel like we're slaves to. We feel like we're bound by them. What we get to have is a slavery of a much greater and higher calling. Why? Because we are slaves not out of force, not out of compulsion, but out of our own choosing. It's a love slavery, us to Christ. As we get to come, we get to say, Christ, you are my master. I am but your servant on this earth. And God, I don't understand it. I don't understand the situations you call me towards. I don't understand the spaces that you bring me into. But God, I trust you. I trust you, God. You see, godliness is not on the basis of your circumstance, but on the pursuit of the God who is in control of every circumstance. And so for my final what if this evening, what if I'm an unbeliever? Ironically, the Bible's call to you is fairly similar. You see marriage, singleness, body surgery, a new job, a new city, rich, poor, none of this has any value. They're all, in essence, empty pursuits. They're broken wells. They cannot hold any water. You can change your circumstances all you want. You can find the great job. You can find the spouse you think you want. But it will never truly satisfy. And often I think this is just exhausting. It's exhausting. Verse 24 again says, Let him remain with God. You see, God has made us to be fully satisfied, fully fulfilled wherever we are, in any circumstance, in any situation, in Him. Paul writes, just before we come to that passage of Philippians 4.13, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. He says, I've learned to live with plenty. I've learned to live with little. Why? Because I have Christ. And so the call... If you are the unbeliever, it's today to turn away from your wicked, self-pursuing ways. There is a much, much better way. One that truly satisfies. Jesus died on a cross. He paid the ultimate price to redeem you, to buy you back as his own possession. That, friends, is of infinite value. That is where true freedom is not in fulfilling your every desire. Believe today in the message of Christ that you too might be saved before it is too late. I want to close with a quote from Martin Luther who summarizes this entire passage. Faith and the Christian life aren't restricted to any particular station or position in life, but they are above, in, and throughout all positions in life. Therefore, it's not necessary for you to accept or give up any position in life to receive salvation. Stay in whatever place the gospel finds you. You can remain there and be saved. It's not necessary for you to give up your marriage and run from your non-Christian spouse for the sake of faith or salvation. On the other hand, it's not necessary for you to become married for the sake of faith or salvation. 
if you are married, whether it be to a Christian or non-Christian, whether to a good person or an evil person, you are neither saved nor condemned because of that. If you're unmarried, you're also not saved or condemned because of being single. It's all free. Free. So I come back to that question. Do you trust God? Where you are right now in this moment, in this space, in this season of your life, do you trust God that He will work, that He will use you, that God has called you a specific person to a specific place at a specific time for His purpose and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we come and we... I know, Lord, in this room there, there are so many people, God, going through so many different things, Lord. Hard, challenging, Confusing, emotionally draining things, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give them encouragement through your word. That God, they would trust in you. That God, they'd see though the calling you've called them towards might not make any sense. It might not seem like the best thing in this moment, in this season, God. I pray, Lord, that they trust in you that they not seek to manipulate their circumstances, not seek to change their lives, but instead, Lord, to be changed by you, to be used of you, to be a fragrant offering where they are. Praying this, Lord, in your precious name and in the name of your, Jesus, your, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.